Okay, Beruchim Abayim, welcome everyone. We are continuing our study of Simha. We are in class number 42. This class will be given for Rifwa Shalema of a dear friend, Pinhas Ben Gila. Hashem Shisandim Rifwa Shalema Bekarov, Amen. The Mesilat Yesharim. In the end of the first chapter, after going through the purpose of each individual in this world, he says over there one line that I'd like to learn with you today, at least part of it. He says, Nimtsenu Lemedim comes out that we have learned the following, he says. Basically, in summary, Ki ikar metziut ha'adam ba'olam hazeh He says, the main reality of a person in this world Now, before I explain further, just want to um, explain those words. The main reality. You know, today, we are privileged to, to understand a little bit more what he's saying. There is a world today called virtual reality. There's a world that exists out there that doesn't really exist. People, for example, can get married virtually. They're not really married. They don't really have a marriage. You can have virtual children. You don't really have children. It's just virtual. You can own virtual real estate. It's actually a pretty big business. Where you own real estate somewhere. Just there's no real land though. It's just virtual. I met a person last week that's actually going into the business of becoming a broker for, believe it or not, virtual Real estate, he wanted to sell me a virtual shul. <laughs> he asked me if I would be the rabbi of this virtual shul. You're laughing, but I'm telling you the truth. So it's interesting, there's a whole world out there of virtual things. Whether it's games or it's many different, is virtual art. All types of things that are not real. Obviously, we all know that living in a virtual world doesn't do anything for you. You're living in a fake world that has no value. And obviously, that kind of world is going to catch up with you at some point, And you're going to feel yourself a completely empty human being. A human was not meant to be living in a virtual world. So the days of the Ramchal, when this book was written, he didn't have, he couldn't have imagined such a thing. I think even today, people are listening and they're wondering, what am I talking about? But imagine 100 years ago, or 200 years ago, or 300 years ago when this book was written, you spoke about a reality that I just spoke about, they would say, you're out of your mind. What are you talking about? But even in his world, he understood there was also a virtual reality. Not as virtual as our reality, 
But in his world, it's also virtual. Because he says the main reality of a person in this world sounds like they are. There's the main reality and then there's like the fake reality. What was he talking about? He wasn't talking about video games. So what was he saying? Basically, he was saying that a human being in life is made up of many, many, many different things that we do. You know, we eat, we drink, we sleep, we exercise, we shower, we go to the doctor, we do mitzvot, we do many things in our lives. And he's telling you that some things that we do is real, and some things are not real. Not real doesn't mean they don't exist. Not real means they don't count. I'll give you, let me give you a mashal, a little, a little mashal. I think it's a mashal. I don't think the story ever happened. But uh, they say a story of a, of a city, pretty nice sized city, that was looking for a chief rabbi. So they were looking around to find who would be qualified, and they found somebody they thought would be the right person. And they brought him into the city, and they started showing him all the different institutions they have, all the shuls that they have. They showed them the yeshivot, the mikvaot, whatever they had to offer. They wanted to impress him. And he was pretty impressed. A lot of infrastructure, a lot of things going on. And then the last stop, they took him to the cemetery. They went to the cemetery and he's looking around and he's reading all the stones and the first one he reads, it says, this guy, Yosef, he lived for 12 years. He's like, has he, a little kid passed away. What a tragedy. Next one he sees, Yaakov lived 11 years. He sees another one lived 9 years. One lived 7 years. He says, this must be like the children's section of the cemetery. So he went to the other section. He sees the same story. No one in that place lived more than like 15 years. So he went back to the committee and says, listen guys, thank you for your offer, but I think I'm going to pass on this one. It's all what happened. You were so excited. We showed you what we have here. Where could you imagine a better opportunity than this? He said, the truth, I was all in until I went to the cemetery. I, I don't wish to live the lives that you live. He said, what are you talking about? He says, did you, did you see what's there? 10 years, 12 years, 15 years? They told him, no, sir, you, you're misunderstanding. He says, in this city, we do not measure a person's years by how many years, how many minutes they live. We measure a person's years by how many real years he lived. Which means, how many real things did he accomplish that are actually meaningful and that he's taking with him. So for example, if you're eating and you're sleeping, okay, it doesn't count. It's not a bad thing. That's just not, that's not important. It could be important if you do it for the right reasons. I'm not going to go into it right now. But there are many things in life that we do that don't really matter. 
So in this city, we only measure things that matter. We don't measure virtual reality. We measure real reality that a person actually does something that is meaningful, that is lasting, that's staying with them. Now, I don't know how they figure that, that uh, how to do it. That's why we don't do it today, I don't think. Because today, if people did that, they would just, they would probably pay for it. They'll pay somebody, say, yeah, put 100 years, okay, you, you get 150 years. You only live 80, but we'll give you more. But I don't know if this would work today. Today, we live in a Sheker world. But maybe in a world when the people used to be emet, they could actually realize how many years the guy lived. Anyway, I think it's a mashal anyway to begin with. But the point is, the Mesilat Yesharim is telling you that just because you're doing a lot of things in your life, and you could be very, very busy, but you could be very busy doing nothing. A person could be busy day and night, and at the end of the day, they're busy doing nothing. No different than being busy in a marriage that doesn't exist. You're virtually married. You're very busy with it. You're talking, you're conversing, you're fighting, you're making up, but you're not even married. A person can live through life the same way, day after day, busy doing nothing. So, says the Mesilat Yesharim, and if you want to know what things you need to be involved in in order to be able to say, oh, I'm doing something, what's called doing something? So says the Mesilat Sharim, only three things. There are three categories that if you're involved in them in the right way, then you're actually doing something. You're actually living real life. The first one, I think all of us would have guessed. First one, he says, is lekayem mitzvot. Okay, we could have guessed that one. If you're fulfilling a mitzvah, then you're doing something real. A mitzvah could be tefillah, a mitzvah could be kibud avaim, honoring your parents, a mitzvah could be helping your friend, a mitzvah could be a phone call to your grandmother, a mitzvah could be anything between man and man, man and God, mitzvot, we all know what mitzvot are, there's no need right now to go and get involved with that. There's mitzvot aseh, there are positive mitzvot, there's mitzvot lota aseh, staying away from certain things, those are all mitzvot. So anytime you're involved in a mitzvah, if you're not going to eat on Kippur and you fast an entire day, mitzvah. If you listen to the shofar on Rosh Hashanah, mitzvah. Mitzvot, day and night we have mitzvot. So if you're involved in mitzvot, you're doing something real. I think all of us could have guessed it. Doesn't require any further explanation. The second and third however, are somewhat surprising. I'm going to skip the second one for today. Maybe we'll get back to it in a few weeks. This, the third one, he says, La'amod benisayon. That you're here in this world. If you want to know what part of your life is reality, it's when you go through a nisayon, which means a challenge. There are different types of challenges. We're not going to get into that today. But there are different types of challenges. You have health issues, God forbid. You have family issues. You have financial issues. You have spiritual issues. You have social issues. You have emotional issues. You have anxiety issues. All types of issues. All nisyonot that all of us are going through every day of our lives. 
It's nothing that we like to advertise. It's nothing we like to speak about unless it's really desperate. Usually we try to put an image forth where everything is perfect because we want to look, at least look shalem. But we all know that we struggle with many things. Everybody here is struggling with things. There isn't a person that you ever met and that you ever saw that's not struggling with something. It's just a part of life. It's called nisyonot. He says nisyonot are the reality of life. Ve'la'amod benisayon. La'amod benisayon means you're able to stand up when there is a nisayon. You're basically standing through the challenges of life. Now, interestingly enough, I never realized how big this section of my life was. I thought life was a person who's just doing mitzvot. According to what he's telling you here, a guy could do mitzvot his whole life. A woman could be involved in mitzvot her whole life. Day and night, they're always doing the right thing. Always. Never doing the wrong thing. And you would say to yourself, that's a complete person. What more could they do? Comes the Mesilai Esharim with a bomb. Literally. He says, I want you to know, if you're only doing mitzvot, you're doing great. You got one section covered. You could check one box. But there's three boxes you got to check. The second box is, how are you doing with your nisyonot? How are you dealing with your challenges? Are you responding the right way? Are you failing in your challenges? But wait, but I do only mitzvot. I never do anything wrong. Yes, check for that. But you're not anywhere complete unless you could check this second box. This is not like, we think of challenges like, they're like side issues that come up in life sometimes and we have to deal with them and they try to derail us. It's not like that. It seems over here that standing in the face of challenge is no different than fulfilling mitzvot. It's another category. I don't know the percentages. I don't know if it's 33, 33, 33. I don't know if it's, I don't know how he divided it. It's not important for me. But what's important is I realize here that I'm not living a real life unless I'm standing up and succeeding in the world of nisyonot. If the nisyonot in your life are getting the best of you, then even if you're righteous in the mitzvah world, we would be considered failing because we're not complete. So just learning that, by the way, is a little bit relieving. Because sometimes you feel that when you're going through different nisyonot in your life, and it never stops. It's never going to stop. You and I both know that. It hasn't stopped till now. It's not going to stop. But knowing that it's actually part of the blueprint, it makes things a little bit easier. I mean, it's not accidental that they are nisyonot. They're brought upon for a reason, and not just any reason. It's the purpose of your life. Imagine someone would tell you, why are you fasting on Kippur? What do you mean? Why am I fasting on Kippur? It's a mitzvah. Because I need to. It's part of my shlemut. It's part of my olam haba. It's part of my eternity. 
Why are you eating matzah on Pesach? What does that mean? It's a mitzvah. A person has to know when they're going through a challenge, it's no different than eating matzah on Pesach or fasting on Kippur. There's no difference. It's the same. It's the same person that is completing himself just through a different channel. It's not accident. It's not something that's getting in your way. Nisyonot are not getting in your way. Your challenges are not in your way like most of us probably think. Life was going great. Everything was going beautifully. And then a Nisayon came and it got in my way. I have to take care of my mother. I got to take care of my grandmother. I got to take care of this. I got in trouble with that. I have issues in business. It got in my way. My life was great till now. What just happened? Comes the Misra Isha'im is telling you, their nisyonot are not in your way. They're your way. That's your way. That is exactly where you're supposed to be. The same way you can't say, oh, Kippur came. It got in my way. It's in my way. I was living a great life. Comes Kippur and I'm suffering. No one would say that. Everyone would say, what do you mean? Kippur is your way. What do you mean? That's the way you're going to get to where you're supposed to get. Nisyonot is your way. They're not in your way. It's a very important principle. Just knowing this alone, if we stopped here, we would be walking away with a wealth of knowledge. Big help to know that. That the things that are challenging me in my life are exactly what's going to get me to where I need to get. They're no different than any other mitzvah. question I'm going to deal with today is, what does it mean, La'amod benisayon? La'amod means to stand. Why is that being stressed over here? La'amod, to stand up when you have a challenge. So I'd like to offer two explanations why the word La'amod is appropriate. And not only appropriate, it's very instructive. I can't promise that's what the author meant. But I could promise that what I'm telling you is authentic Torah ideas. La'amod perhaps means what the Sefer Tzitkat HaTzadik writes. The Tzitkat HaTzadik is a book that writes the following. Listen to these words. He says that a Jew must have emunah in three areas. He says, number one, you have to have emunah, you have to believe in God. You have to believe in Hashem, that He created the world, that He runs the world, He's involved in your life. That's one emunah. The second emunah, you have to believe that Torah is min hashamayim, that the Torah that we have was given to us by the Creator of the world through Moshe Rabbeinu. Torah Shebikhtav, the written Torah, Torah Shebaalpeh, the oral Torah. Good. I think those two we would have guessed. How could you be a Jew if you don't have emunah and those two things? The third one is somewhat surprising. What's the third emunah? I have to have emunah and what else? What else besides God and His Torah? Says the Tzidkata Tzadik that you have to have emunah in yourself. 
You have to believe in yourself. You have to believe that you can. You have to believe that you have the strength. You have to believe in yourself. You know, when you read this Sitkata Tzadik and you think about it and you realize, you know, it's something that not only he spoke about, many people speak about today. In fact, many non-Jewish speakers discuss the importance of believing in yourself. And they'll tell you lines like, if you believe that you can, then you will. It's all about believing in yourself. You can invite a speaker here and pay them thousands of dollars and they'll drive you and the crowd crazy. You'll have thousands of people listening, drinking the water of the words of believe in yourself. If you believe in yourself, you could do anything. Self-confidence. And they'll bring you stories from this man who was struggling and then he picked himself up and he believed that he could. And even though he failed eight times, he ended up building the biggest company in the world. And this person who was failing and he was very sick, God forbid, and then, and then he believed in himself and he, and he became the successful gay person. And this, after you finish 45 minutes, you're flying in Shammai. You are walking out of there and you're saying, you know something? I believe in myself. I could do anything. And I'm ready to tackle on. Come on, bring it on. I'm ready. And then what happens is that you go home and after a couple of hours, you're ready to go to sleep on your pillow and then you realize you're the same dip you were three hours ago. And you just enjoyed the excitement, but nothing really happened. It's not real. And I'm gonna tell you why it's not real. Because it's not true. What's not true is not real. And it can only last, it's a temporary band-aid. It's, ah, oh, it's a great feeling, yeah, I can, yeah, 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 yeah. But there's nothing there. And the reason why it's not real is because you and I both know that it's not true. How do I know that? Let's say I believed that I can carry this building. This is a pretty heavy building. Let's say I believed that I could. How did I get to that belief? I don't know, very big emuna. Or maybe I went to the doctor, he gave me a shot. Told the doctor, give me a shot. I want to believe I can carry the building. You have any shots for that? Some doctors have good shots for that. I'm not going to say their name. Yeah. Yeah. They have, they have a shot. You're, you want to believe... You want to believe that you can carry this building? Hold on. And they'll give you a shot and you walk out of there and say, okay, someone sees you, where you going? I'm going to carry the building. How do you know? I can do it. I believe I can do it. You and I both know that you will not be able to carry that building. No matter how much you believed. You just can't do it. Let's say you really believe that you could fly. I, I really believe it. Why not? If an eagle could do it, why can I do it? If a bird this big could do it, why can I do it? But you can't. You can't fly. No matter how much you believe, you're not flying. So it's not real. Guy tells you, whatever you believe in, you can do. It's not true. Just like I know if I believe I can fly, I still can't fly. And just like I know if I wanted to build 
took out the building, I still can't. Who says the thing that I'm involved in now is really something that I could do? Who says? The same way I cannot do A, B, even if I believe, this might be in the A, B category also. So when the dust settles and the inspiration fades, so all you have is reality. And the reality says you can't do anything you believe. And that's why you go back and as inspired as you were, as high as you were, you go back to reality. Now this is not only true for me, it's true for my children also. I'm trying to inspire them that you believe in yourself and you could believe in yourself and you could do it. But if it's not going to be based on something real, it's not going to last and it's not going to work. But this is a great rabbi talking. This is not some inspirational speaker trying to make money. What's he talking about? When he says you have to believe in yourself. Why should I believe in myself? Who am I to believe in myself? You see the human, within three seconds his health could disappear. It was standing on on air. I'm going to believe in myself? Where is the emet? Where is the truth in such a belief? In God, we know the emet. In the Torah, Hashem gave us the emet and har sinai. But where is the source for believing in myself? This question bothered me over a long time. And I think the answer is very simple. I just, I guess, I wasn't clear enough or mature enough to understand it. It's a very simple answer. We must all realize that believing in yourself, believing in myself, is a branch that comes out of the emunah in Hashem. It's not a new thing. It's part of believing in Hashem. There's a branch that comes out, it's called believe in yourself. What do I mean by that? Believing in yourself does not mean that you could do whatever you want. It doesn't mean that. It's a mistake. But what it does mean is that if Hashem put you in a situation and you have a nisayon, you have a challenge in front of you, whatever type of challenge it might be, easy, hard, small, big, social, financial, health, spiritual, whatever it might be. If Hashem chose to put you in that situation, then He would never put you in it unless He believed that you can do it and you can succeed. So that means Hashem believes in me. How do I know He believes in me? Because He runs the world. If He runs the world and He loves me, He's my Father. He's more my Father than my real Father. He's more my mother than my real mother. He loves me and in fact, all the love that I got in this world from my parents, He created. He would never put me in a position that I can't handle. He would never set me up for failure. So if He believes in me, that's why I have to believe in myself. Believing in myself means that I know Hashem 
thinks I could do it. And that becomes a very powerful person. When you believe in someone and they understand that it's true, your belief in them is true, it raises them. When you believe in your children and they see that, that gives them the ability. That's what the Tzidkat HaTzadik is saying. Believe in yourself. Believe that Hashem believes in you. And that will empower you. He will never give you what you can't handle. I'll give you a beautiful example to that. In Parashat Shelah, the Torah talks about the story of the spies. And the first Rashi on the Parashat asks a question. He says, how come in the Torah we find that the parasha discussing the spies, how come it follows the parasha of Miriam? Miriam, you know the story? She spoke against Moshe. She was punished. The Jewish people waited for her till the tzara'at leprosy went away. And then they traveled. Then the Torah reports about the Miraglim. Comes Rashi in the words of Hazal and says, how come the Torah wrote the story of the spies after the story of Miriam? And says Rashi, you know why? Because the Miraglim, they saw what happens when you're not careful with your words. They saw Miriam who wasn't careful with her words, what happened to her. And they still didn't learn their lesson and they continued the same pattern and they spoke against Eretz Israel and against God. That's why it's written next to each other. Now the truth is this Rashi makes no sense because if you look chronologically, the story of Miriam happened right before the story of the Miraglim. That's, that was the chronological order. Miriam happened, they, wait, they waited, and then they went to Midbar Paran, and from there, they sent the Miraglim. So what kind of question is that? Why is it written next to each other? It's not like writing a story that's out of order, where you can ask, why is this here? It's not like a law that Hashem chose to put the law here and he asked why he put that law here. It's a story. There's a timeline here. And the timeline in the desert, if you look at the timeline, you'll see Miriam, next, Miraglim. It's the right order. So how could you ask, why did Hashem write in the Torah the story of the Miraglim after the story of Miriam? Answer, because that's when it happened. What kind of question is that? I'm going to share with you a beautiful answer that has very much to do with what we're discussing today. It's, it's true. That's exactly how it happened. Hashem told Moshe Rabbeinu, send the Miraglim after the story of Miriam. But the rabbis, they're asking the following question. Hashem could have sent them before. There was opportunity before. There was some time between when they left the Yamsuf and they got to this point. Why did Hashem tell Moshe Rabbeinu now? Why now? I know it happened now. 
But why did Hashem wait for the story of Miriam to take place and then send the Meraglim? Why didn't he tell Moshe Rabbeinu before? He had opportunity. He could have told him before. Why did Hashem wait? Not why was it reported that way. And the answer is that Hashem was waiting to give power to the Miraglim. He didn't want to put them in a very difficult test that they had, how they would speak. We're not going to get into their test right now. But they had a very big nisayon of how they would react, what kind of words would come out of their mouth when they came back. They weren't ready for such a nisayon. Hashem did not send them. He had to wait for the story of Miriam where they were able to learn from that story. It was a big talk. What happened to Miriam? Why did it happen? What did she say? Oh my goodness. So careful you have to be with your words. They got the lesson. Look what happens to someone who doesn't, who doesn't have careful words come out of his mouth. They saw that. Hashem says, Shelach lecha anashim. Send the spies. They're ready now. They're ready doesn't mean they're going to succeed. They're ready means now they're able. Hashem would not send the spies until they were able to do the right thing. He held off. This is one of many, many, many millions of stories that happens every day. Hashem will never put any person in any situation unless they could do it, unless they were qualified to pass that Nisayon. That's what it means, I believe in myself. That's what we say every Shabbat. Lehagid baboker hasdecha. David HaMelech says, Hashem, when I have boker in my life, when I have the morning, the light in my life, when I see success in my life, and Baruch Hashem, all of us have experienced many successes in many areas of life. Says David Melech, whenever I have success in life, Lehagid, I praise you, I thank you, I speak about your kindness with me, I don't take it for granted. I say, I can't believe what you're doing for me, I'm not deserving, what can I give back to you? That's how I react when it's boker. When the good things are going on in my life. Lehagid baboker hazdecha. But then there are the lelot. There are the nights of life. There are the challenges of life. What happens then? What's my reaction then? Says David HaMelech. Ve'emunatecha balelot. During the lelot, during the challenges or the challenging situations, Emunah. I need emunah. That carries me through the lelot. I would never be able to make it. That's the way most people translate that pasuk. That my emunah carries me through the nights. But the Hebrew word emunatecha doesn't translate as my emuna. That's the wrong translation. 
emunatcha translates as your emuna. Hashem, your emuna carries me balelot. Your emuna carries me through the dark times, through the dark moments. Your emuna, Hashem has emuna. In whom does Hashem believe? In what does He believe? What does that mean? Your emuna carries me. Emunatcha is your emuna in me. Says David Melech, during the hard times, it's not my emuna in you that carries me. It seems that having emuna in Hashem is not enough to go through the nisyonot of life. You could believe in God and His involvement and everything like that. It's beautiful. It's important. But it seems it's not enough. If you want to be carried through the lelot of life, it's not enough to know that you believe in God. You have to know that He believes in you. Because when He believes in you, then you start to believe in yourself. And you stand, la'amod benisayon. You stand. You don't sit. Sitting would mean you're giving up. You're saying, how much can one person handle? Have you ever said that in your life? How can I take care of this? How much can I handle? It's too much for me. Whether you say it in your words or you actually feel it, it's the same. When you feel like that, when you feel that the nisayon that's in front of you is way too big for you, then you've already failed. La'amod benisayon means to stand up to your nisayon. Not to sit down and let it bring you down. Rather to stand up because you know that you can. Because Hashem has emunah in you. Emunatcha balelot. By the way, as a side point, this also explains... Our obligation, say it again, our obligation to believe in others. Seemingly, it's a very hard concept. What does that mean, believe in others? How do I believe in somebody else? I don't control what they are thinking or what they will do or what they can do. Believing in myself, okay, we went through that already. How do I believe in others? I tell my son, I believe in you. I, be I tell my neighbor, I believe in you. I believe you can do it. I know it's hard, but I believe in you. I don't just say those words, but I actually express it in a way that he actually feels that. I believe in you. Look how much time I'm spending with you. Obviously, I believe in you. Where would that obligation come from? The answer is, it comes from the same place. Because if Hashem put that guy... Well, that lady, in that situation, well, he must believe in them. So if God believes in them, then you believe in them. It's the same thing. You never look at a guy and say, oh, forget it, you're out, you're done. It's over. Now you can't handle it. What does that mean? It's the same branch. The branch of emunah, of Hashem, has one coming out to you and one coming out to everybody else the same source to believe in people spiritually to believe in people don't look at someone and say ah you know you're lost cause 
You can never make it. Look at you. Look at the way you talk. Look at the way you dress. Look at the way you act. Look at the way you behave. Look where you come from. Look at your history. Forget it. You're a lost cause. He's a lost cause. Why is he here? If Hashem needs more humans on the planet, if Hashem leaves him here, he believes in him. If you're still alive and you have opportunity, Hashem believes in you. So therefore, I have to believe in you. And that goes with every challenge. To believe in others is an obligation. And that's where the Miraglim failed. According to Ramban. Ramban asked, what did the Miraglim do? Moshe sent them on a mission. He told them, come back with reports of what you saw. They came, they came back, they went, they came back. And they reported exactly what they saw. They were never accused of lying. Nobody said they were liars. They said they saw giants. They said they saw people dying. They said they saw fortified cities. They saw whatever Moshe sent them to do. They came back and they reported. So the Ramban has this long Ramban in Parashat Shalah, trying to figure out this terrible tragedy that happened in our history. And Ramban can't even figure out what they did wrong. Amazing Ramban. And he tries, and he says, maybe it was this, and no, it can't be that, and it can't be this, and it can't be that. Finally, at the end of the Ramban, he says, oh, I got it. He says, they said one word. They said the word Ephes. They said, Ephes, Ephes means you can't do it. Ephes means but, it's beyond you. Like the Ramban says, Ephes, she Risham, their, their evil, these Meraglim was, Bemilat Ephes, when they said the word Ephes. Shehi, that word, Mora, means, Al Davar Ephes, Venimna Mina Adam. They basically said, You people cannot do it. Shehi Efshar Beshum Enyan. There is no way. You people are going to capture that land. You could forget about it. They didn't believe that they could do it. Which, by the way, is a big question. These people just experienced a year of miracles. Ten plagues, Kiryat Yamsuf, Matan Torah. They don't believe that God could do for the Jewish people what he did in Mitzrayim. Where were these people? They were sleeping for the last year? What does that mean? They didn't believe in them. The answer is, the Hafez Haim says that of course they believed that God could do it. But they saw how the Jewish people were behaving with all of God's providence over them in the desert. What do they do? They make an agil, they make a golden calf. Who does that? They just got the Torah in Har Sinai. They're building a golden calf. They're complaining about the man, the miraculous food that came every morning. They're complaining about meat. So the Miraglim looked at these people and said, you people, of course God could help us. That's not the question. But why would he help you? Look at the way you behave. And besides, you're going to Eretz Yisrael. Eretz Yisrael is like sitting in the palace of the Melech, of the king. You got to be extra careful in the palace of the Melech. 
Here you're in the desert, you're not there. You're in Eretz Israel, and you're going to behave like this? There's no way that you're going to make it. It's beyond you. You're not holding on that level. They didn't believe that the Jewish people would get help from Hashem. They didn't believe in it. So what's their mistake? Their mistake is, if Hashem says to go, then like Yehoshua and Caleb said, what they say? They told them, We will go. We could. We have the capability. We could do it. How do I know? How do they know they could do it? Because Hashem says you could do it. If Hashem says to go, must be He thinks you could do it. You're right. If we looked at what the Miraglim were looking at, we might have agreed with them. They were great people. They said, come on, these people, they're just not. Sometimes you see a person and you look at them and say, forget it, there's no shot. They're so far. They're so distant. They're not relevant. They're never going to make it. That's what they were looking at. And they said, the way you are, you're not going to make it. God's not going to help you. We would have agreed with them. The only thing is, Hashem said to go. If Hashem said to go, that means He thinks we could do it. And that's it. That means the greatest tragedy in the history of the Jewish people, that that night of Tisha B'Av, of the Miraglim, happened because they were great men that didn't believe in the Jewish people. They didn't believe that these people could rise above their Yetzirah and above their nature. They didn't have Emunah in Am Yisrael. That's what it means, La'amod benisayon. La'amod, a nisayon comes into your life. You gotta stand. You gotta stand because Hashem put you on your feet. And He gave you that nisayon. Don't ever say, it's beyond me. How much can I handle? It's too much. What did I do wrong? You could ask that question, but not in a complaint. Depends on the tone. If you want to know what you did wrong, it's a good question. Maybe it's a good question. Ask. What did I do? Maybe I have to change something. It's a good question. If it's a sincere question, it's a good question. But to say, what did I do wrong? That's not a question. That's a complaint. La'amot <clears throat> benisayon. Let me share with you just a... Actually, it's a halakha and shulchan aruch. Halakha and ma'aseh. Unfortunately, we all have to sometimes exercise this halakha. It comes from a gemara. Gemara babakama. Daf Lamed Haid says. Story happened. Rav Shemuel. His daughter passed away. Lo'alenu. It was a big tragedy. The Hachamim came to Ula. Ula was a gadol in Babel, a great man. So the rabbis came to Ula. They said, Nizil, let's go together. Ve, Nizil, Ninhameh. 
Let's go and do Nihum Avelim. Condolences for the Avelim. Uh, let's go visit him. Amar Lehu, listen to this reaction. Imagine, imagine you go up to the great Gadol, great person, and you say, would you like to join me to go to do Nihum Avelim? He turns to them and he says, he says, I would never go to a Bet Avel with you people. I would never be caught dead in you, in a bit of it with you. Never. Okay, Rabbi, sorry. Well, what happened? Well, what do we do? He says, the way you are Menachem Abel, he says, it's a insult to the creator of the world, the way you go and talk. So what, what, what do we say? He says, you say things like, you go to the Abel and you say, what can we do? Says the game. It sounds like if you could have done, you would have. Sounds like you know better. So the Gemara says he went alone. He wouldn't go with them. He don't want to be found with such a atmosphere or people talking. This is by the way Aruch. Open up Chod Avelut. Aruch says when you go visit in Avel. Do not say to the Avel. Of course you mean well. You have good intentions. And of course it's probably not what you meant to insult God. That's not what he's saying. But nonetheless, it's the wrong thing to say. Says Shohan Aruch, do not go to an Avel and say, Listen, what are you going to do? Or say, listen, you can't change it. Whatever happened, you can't change it. Says Shohan Aruch, This is insulting. Because it sounds from your words that if it was possible to change, you would change it. And that's not appropriate. Because you're not smarter than the creator of the world. So a person, La'amod benisayon, means you don't sit and complain whether you complain with words or your mindset you don't say why me how much could i those things were already measured for you you know how come, how much can i do sometimes you see a mother dealing with her children it's, it's overwhelming sometimes it's very hard especially if you have one difficult child it's or two it's very hard. They could drain your energy. But the biggest drain of energy is when you're sitting benisayon. What drains you isn't the nisayon. Isn't the challenge that's draining you. It's your attitude. It's because you're not omed. The minute you say, how much can one person handle? You've already lost the battle. You're done. That's how it works. Nisyonot don't bring people down. It's your reaction to Nisyonot. Says the Mesilat Yesharim, La'amod benisayon. When a Nisayon comes your way and you stand up and you say, listen, I didn't pray for this. I maybe didn't expect it. I certainly didn't want it. You know, we pray that we shouldn't have Nisyonot. But they come. 
You don't have to pray for them. We pray that Hashem shouldn't give us nisyonot because we're not really so confident. We don't want to act like we are, you know, we could do everything. Yeah, give us the nisyon. David Amelach did that. He tells Hashem, Behaneni Adonai Benaseni. Hashem, test me. I could do it. I said, really, you could do it? I'm going to send you a nisayon, and I promise you, you can't do it. And he failed. Even David Amelach, we don't ask for nisyonot. We're not so confident in ourselves. And there's no reason to be confident. But when Hashem sends a Nisayon that we didn't ask for, that means He's confident. And when you stand up, you're on your way. When you sit down, so to speak, then you've already lost the battle. So you got to be careful how you react when a Nisayon comes into your life. La'amod ben Nisayon. But I want to share with you one more explanation of the word la'amod. When a father or mother walk into a room, halacha says that he's supposed to stand. When someone important comes into a room, you stand and you go greet them. We stand up for a Sefer Torah when it's coming next to us. When you stand for something, it means you understand the value of that item or that thing or that person and you're standing up out of kavod to whoever you're standing for. Your father walks into the house and you just sit on the couch and say, hi, come in. You get up and you go to the door and say, hi. La'amod, you stand up for important people and important things. Perhaps la'amod benisayon means more than just saying, I can. That I'm going to stand up to you. I'm going to fight you. No, no, no. It's more than that. I stand up in your honor. I stand up because I appreciate you. And I value you. You're so important in my life. That's a hard thing to do. For a Sefer Torah, it's easy. For your parents, it's easy. For a great rabbi, it's easy. For your grandpa who walks in, easy. For a Nisayon that's coming to your life, and you stand up and say, thank you. Thanks for being here. I really appreciate that you came into my life. That's pretty hard to do. The first part of this class spoke about dealing with nisyonot, dealing with challenges. But we were kind. The tone was bediavad. In Hebrew, there are two words that we have to learn. One is called lechatila, 
and one is bedi'avad. Lechatchila means things are exactly where I want them to be. The best. Bedi'avad means it's not the best. It is what it is. I'm dealing with it. It's bedi'avad. I'm dealing with it. What can I do? I'm not giving up. I'm standing up. I'm not sitting down. Sitting down, you failed. I'm standing, but it's bidiyavad, which I do. Are you able to even imagine that we can actually take life's nisyonot and make them lechatchila and actually view them like we view the most valuable things in life, why would I look at a nisayon as it's lechat hila? I have to share with you a gemara. I, honestly, I don't understand this gemara 100%. So I'm going to tell you off the bat. And I can't answer any question on the gemara. But there's one very big message I understand from the gemara. And that's the only one I want to share with you. The Gemara says, actually the Gemara says a person should not bring himself to a Nisayon. Don't put yourself in challenges, as we mentioned before. Don't pray for them, don't put yourself in them. Says the Gemara, look what happened to David HaMelech. David HaMelech, it says he went to Hashem, and I assume Everybody here knows a little bit about the life of David HaMelech and all of the challenges that he went through. Says the Gemara that David HaMelech approached Hashem and says, Ribbono Olam, Master of the Universe. Mi ma omrim, how come when the Jewish people pray, they say in the Amidah, every Amidah, of every Jew every day, they say, Elohe Abraham, Elohe Yitzhak, Velohe Yaakov. And they don't say, Velohe David. Now, I want you to appreciate this question. We would never ask that question. If you would ask me that question, I'd give you like 10,000 reasons why. How come they don't say, Elohe Meir? Where, where do we start writing? You understand, to even ask this question, you have to be in a different stratosphere. In fact, David is the only one that could ask this question. Because Hazal tells us he was the fourth leg of Hashem's royal chair, whatever that means. The other three were Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, he was the fourth. So he had good reason to ask this question. He said, I don't understand, how come I got left out? Listen to this answer. Hashem tells him, Amar. Hashem says, oh, it's obvious. I'll tell you why. Inhu, they, Avraham, Yitzhak, Yaakov, minsuli, they had challenges in life. Ve'at lo minsetli, you didn't have enough challenges. Now, again, the reason why I don't understand this Gemara is David had a lot of challenges. Okay, but it's fine. I don't have to understand everything. But I understand one thing. 
that the reason why we say Elohe Abraham, Elohe Yitzhak, Elohe Yaakov is not only because of the mitzvot that they did. I understand from this Gemara that what got them in this new level is their ability la'amod benisayon. The nisyonot were not like a side point in their life. That was the main point. In fact, David HaMelech didn't make it to the top because he didn't have the same level nisyonot. What an unbelievable Gemara this is. Hazal say in Perkei Avot, Asara nisyonot nisnaseh Avraham Avinu. Abraham had 10 major challenges in his life. And it's not, oh, and despite that, he became great. That's what we think. Despite the challenges, he was great. No, no, no. It's not despite the challenges. It's because of the challenges. That's why we say his name every day. The building blocks of the great patriarchs and matriarchs of our nation is because of their nisyonot, not because of their mitzvot. Of course, their mitzvot too. They checked that box. We know that already. We see Abraham and his kindness. We see Abraham the way he cared for people. We see Abraham teaching humanity about Hashem. We know that part already. But it was the nisyonot that pulled them to the top. And David with all his nisyonot didn't quite make it. Hard to believe. But that's what it says here. And therefore, the building block, not just of the Jewish people, and not just of the Avot, of every human, of every person, is specifically your nisyonot. It's specifically the things that are making you nervous and getting you upset. The things that are standing in your way. Those are the things. Stand up for them. Imagine at that moment, David would get a nisyon. He would stand up. So, oh wow, this is my greatness. This is it, my ticket. I I, got to pick up that ticket. I need to get to the next league, to the big leagues. I need a Nisayon. In fact, that's what David said. Hashem, give me a Nisayon. That's that's the spot. That was the conversation. Hashem said, okay, so test me. Oh, you're so confident. Hashem tells him, you're so confident. Try this one. And he failed. The greatness of Abraham Avinu, as the Pasuk says, Hashem promised them, Lech Lecha, go to this land and I promise you, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you children. I'm going to give you everything good. What happens? He goes there. He goes there. There's a, there's a famine. Where? Ba'aretz. In that land that Hashem gave him. Rashi says, Be'oto Eretz Levada. Only in Israel there was famine. All around, you go through the Middle East, they were rolling. Where was their famine? In Israel. Ba'aretz. Only in Eretz Israel there was famine. Could you imagine a bigger disappointment? Hashem just told you, Lech Lecha, leave, go there, I'm going to give you a beracha. You get there, there's Rav. Says Rashi, for what? Why does Hashem do that for? Lena Soto. There's one purpose. Nisayon. There was no mitzvah to do there. Lenasoto, that was it. To put him through this challenge. Im yeharher, ahar devarav shel Kadosh baruch Is he going to say, how can I handle this? Is he going to say, it's too much for me? Is he going to say, Hashem forgot about me? Hashem punished me? 
I spoke to someone last week. I can tell you, in my eyes, very successful person. And when you talk to them, you realize they are successful in many things. He tells me, I can't go to shul because I'm upset at God. Why? Because he lost some money last year. He's going through a nisayon. I understand. I didn't judge him for that. But, said, you have all the berachot. You're healthy, you have a family, you got everything, everything's good, you have money too. Nisayon, to nisayon. Hashem sent him and he said unto Abraham to see what's going to be the reaction. That's what Hazal say about the word hineni. Hineni. When, when Abraham gets a command, he says, hineni, here I am. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready to go. Tell me what I have to do. When Hashem told him to sacrifice his beloved son that he was waiting for a hundred years, what did he do? He got up early in the morning. Early in the, When do you get up early in the morning? When you're excited. You're going on a vacation. You're getting married. You can't sleep. You have a big simha coming up. But Yashkem, Abraham, Babok, he woke up early in the morning. You see, by the way, that he was able to sleep also. Who could have slept that night? You could have slept that night? When the next day you're going to sacrifice your son? He actually went to sleep that night? He got early in the morning. He's, I'm, I'm going to do the mitzvah myself. As we say in Ayat Sha'arir Atzon here in Rosh Hashanah, He was bitterly crying. Did he miss his son? But he was a left sameah. His heart was full of simha. Hineni, says Rashi, Hineni. That's how great people answer challenges. Hineni, here I am. I'm ready. It's one of the great challenges in life. And we would never be able to accomplish simha if we didn't learn how to deal with this area. You know, facing challenges is natural to the human spirit. I don't know if you know that. It's almost natural for people to challenge themselves. We challenge ourselves all the time. People like to go fishing. Challenge. You catch a fish, a big fish, small fish. People challenge themselves to climb mountains. Can I reach the top of this mountain? They'll travel thousands of miles, weeks at a time, so they could see if they could reach the top. The challenge of skiing, not just a regular mountain, the real hard one, the difficult slopes, the challenges of lifting weights. Oh, I, I was able to bench press 200 or 250. Could do more. It's a challenge. There's a business challenge. I could do. My, I make money just because, not just because I need the money. It's a challenge. I'm building a business. This year it's bigger. We did better this year than last year. 
There are challenges socially. People are challenging themselves. How many people could like you? How many people will follow you? All areas, so many areas of life. And in truth, many of these challenges really are meaningless. What's the difference how many fish you catch? And if you could climb the mountain, so, so what? But it seems to be natural that humans like challenges. It's natural for humans to want to be challenged. And they rise to the challenge. It's almost like our nature. It's interesting. Now, of course, like I mentioned, it could be meaningless things. The ones I just mentioned, by the way, are not even so meaningless compared to other things that people do. Just visit once the Guinness World Record. They have world records over there of people who did some amazing things. Open the book and see what amazing things, what challenges people have risen to amazing things. Like the guy who ate his 26,000 Big Mac. Imagine, 26,000. 40 years every day. He didn't miss one day. What consistency. Every day, a Big Mac. He holds the world record. How awesome is that? Or the person who grew the longest nails. 28 feet. Yeah, that's right, big, big item. World record, what a challenge. They fell off in a car accident. Kapara. She could have gone to 30. The longest mustache. Can you imagine growing your mustache? 14 feet. Imagine that, 14 feet. Amazing. Amazing, what an accomplishment. How about the largest rubber band ball? You ever make a rubber band ball? So you've made one before. You were playing in school, you had nothing to do. You made a rubber band. Well, this guy, he took it as a life mission. And he made a 9,000 pound rubber band ball. Yeah, yeah, I know, it's big. I mean, he holds the world record for rubber bands. It's very exciting. I was once on an airplane to the West Coast. This is years ago. It's like this is the first when the first time screens came out, like in front of you on an airplane. So I go, I see the guy next to me. He looks like he's very into what he's doing. I'm like, what's he, what is he doing? And he's playing a game. Test your knowledge. The big challenge. Now, at that time, I was like learning a lot. I was investing a lot in my studies. I was like 
like it says, like test your knowledge. Like, wow, this is unbelievable. I want to like to play also, and I'm watching what the guy's playing. So I also did it. So let me see. Press the thing. And then I got all the challenging questions. I'm not going to share all of them with you because it will waste your time. But I remember the first question. First question was, here goes. What breed of dog is Scooby-Doo? <laughs> that was the question. And I'm looking and I, and I really had no idea. And I felt so stupid. Like, and the guy next to me, the guy was rolling every answer. This one, that one. You're laughing. That's the truth. Wh which town did the Flintstones live in? I don't know. I don't know. And the guy next to me is like, Pshita, that's an easy one. I felt like such a dip next to the person. The guy got 20 for 20. Legit. I failed miserably. I felt like such a loser. Now you know, it's meaningless. You could be challenged for the most meaningless things. I once took my son to a baseball game. This is years ago, maybe 20 years ago. There's no baseball in my house. We don't watch baseball, we don't follow baseball. So this kid, he's like eight years old comes home one day from camp and he says, Dad, who's our team? <laughs> so what? Who's our team? What are, what are you talking about? It's like, like, who do we like? So what are you, what are you saying? Who, who, he says, I don't know. Some guys like the Yankees. Some guys like the Mets. Some guys like, who do we like? I said, the truth? The truth? We love them all. <laughs> I didn't say we don't, like, we don't like anybody. We love everybody. So I see like he wanted like, you know, he was like very intrigued with the whole thing. So he said, well, let's go to a baseball game. So I don't want to take the baseball game. That's the truth. So I decided, just so I can pacify him, I don't want him to feel like he's missing out. So one day I went to take him to a baseball game. I didn't take him anywhere near. I went to like I went to Baltimore. I literally drove to Baltimore. Okay. And I went to a baseball game and I'm sitting there. I took my books with me. And I'm sitting with him. He's a nine-year-old kid. Okay? We're sitting and whatever, they're playing, they're throwing the ball, they're catching it, they're hitting it. And we're just watching. Very interesting people around us. Good. All of a sudden, this is, this is a real story, okay? I'm not making even a little up. All of a sudden, the crowd goes wild. Everyone is screaming, go, go, go. And I see my son got scared. Because <laughs> there's nobody on the field. So he says, Dad, what happened? What's going on? Why is everyone going crazy? And I'm looking at the field. I thought I got to hit home runs. Like, There's nobody on the field. I'm like, I don't know. What's, I'm looking around. 
And all of a sudden, I see on the Jumbotron, there are three fake horses, three fake electronic horses that are racing around the fake track on the screen. One, two, and three. And the people in the crowd were going wild. Go one, go two, go three. 50,000 screaming people, they're screaming at electronic horses on the screen. Now I'm thinking, how do I explain this to him? What, what exactly should I tell him? I, it was, I didn't have the, the right words, the right vocabulary to discuss what is going on at that moment. Challenges. Challenges. We like challenges. Even a video game that means nothing. It's a challenge. Can I beat this? Can I beat the high score? It doesn't mean anything. But all I'm telling you is that challenges seem to be part of the human nature. We love challenges. Our mission in life is not not to be challenged because that's not an option. It's part of our nature. Our challenge is to channel that desire for challenges for something real, for something important. Challenge yourself to things that are meaningful. Challenge yourself to things that are going to give you accomplishment. Challenge yourself in the real world. Challenge your midot, your character. Challenge your friendships, how you can be a better friend. Challenge yourself to be a better daughter to your parents. Challenge yourself to be a better sister. Challenge yourself to be a better mother. Challenge yourself to be a better Jew. Challenge is channeling the challenges. Don't waste your time on meaningless things. And can I tell you the biggest challenge perhaps in my life and in your life? Here it is, what we're talking about today. Most people live their life Remember that word? Most people live their life all day For example, the minute they wake up and they have to get out of bed, they don't want to get out of bed. But they have to. Either someone's waiting outside, the kids are waiting to be woken up, someone needs breakfast, you have an appointment, so now you get out of your bed, already, what can I do? You're waiting online for something? Bidiava means even if you're handling it, but it's like bidiava. Most people, their looks are bidiava. What can I do? It's the way I look. It is what it is. I hate my hair. I hate my nails. I hate my hair. Bidiava. It is what it is. What are you going to do? Change your looks? Bidiava. Again, I'm talking about the people who are dealing with it, not the people who are jumping off buildings. I'm talking like they're dealing with it, they're doing good. Like, okay, listen, here's what it is. It's the way I look. I can't do anything. Bediavad. I woke up Bediavad. I drive Bediavad. I wait online Bediavad. I look Bediavad. My financial status is Bediavad. My house is Bediavad. My kids are for sure Bediavad. <laughs> they're out of their mind, my kids. Bediavad. If I had normal kids, I could have been something. Okay, I'm dealing with it. I'm dealing with it. 
Der Bedi'avad, she Bedi'avad. You're laughing, but it's the truth. Very often, families Bedi'avad, marriage, big Bedi'avad. Most, not most, 99.9% .9 of people that are married is Bedi'avad. You're laughing? Bedi'avad. Like, okay, it is what it is. Nobody's perfect, I mean, what am I gonna but yeah, but I'm stuck here. That's how life is. You're laughing too hard. People and business partners, but yeah, but I wish I could get more of my partner. He's like really the worst. He doesn't work, he doesn't do anything. Okay, but yeah, but I got, I'm stuck with him. How often is the weather, but yeah, but in your life? And I figured out there's only three days a year that the weather is good. People are always complaining. It's either too hot, too cold, too cloudy, too sunny, too rainy, too foggy, too snowy. There's like three days a year, one in April, one in September, and sometimes somewhere in the middle where people say, wow, today, perfect weather. That means 362 days the whole day is Bidiyabad. I hate the summer nights. The day is too long. I hate the winter nights. The nights are too long. Shabbat's early. No time on Friday. Endless Friday on the summer. Sundays, forget about it. When are they going back to school already? I'm exhausted. During school, can't wait for the summer. This sounds very familiar to you, okay? But it's the truth. It's all bidiyabad, the whole thing. Again, we're dealing with good people who are dealing with it, and they're scoring great. But it's bidiyabad. You want more things? Hey, you got the picture? How many, how many friends do you have over the Abad? They're the Abad friends. They're annoying. But what could you do? You went to school with them. It's, it's, it, it's, they're your neighbors. What are you going to do? Ay, ay. Let me tell you something. Challenges are part of the human spirit. The goal is to channel them. And if you want the best channel to go on, channel them, challenge yourself to live your life lechatela. It's a big challenge. That going forward, you live life lechatela. That when something happens, you view it as the best thing. Not what you predicted and maybe not what you would have wanted. But now that it's here, it's the best thing. La Amod, I'm going to greet it. It's lechatheila when it's snowing. It's lechatheila when it's hot. Your marriage is lechatheila. Your husband, your wife, lechatheila. Your children are lechatheila. 
That's the way it's supposed to be. Could you actually make that happen? Could you look at your life and make everything lechat hila? You would tell me, come on. That's like, we're not angels here. Not malach. If you saw my life, you'd understand. That's probably what you're thinking. But let me read for you a halakha in Shulchan Aruch. I'm not quoting you now any books of Musar or Hasidut or some story. And I'm giving you halakha in Shulchan Aruch. Listen to this halakha. I know Shulchan Aruch is the source of everything that we do. Listen to this halakha. You're not going to believe it. But listen good. Listen to every word. Says Shulchan Aruch. Hayab. Hayab means one is obligated. Not sometimes Shulchan Aruch says it's good to do it, it's preferred to do it, some say to do it. Hayab. Must. You're obligated. Hayab Adam. Listen to this. Lebarech al hara'a. When something lo alenu happens that's not good, you have to make a beracha. We only make it baruch met by a person who passed away. When something bad happens to you, you make a beracha baruch met. Good, beautiful. Says Shohan Aruch, when you make that beracha, you have to do it. Listen to this. Listen to these words. Bedaat shlema means that your mind is fully complete with it, fully good with it. Ubnefesh hafetzah. It has to be that your soul desires it. It already happened. Not before. After. Listen to these words. Kederich. How much should my soul desire? Like how much? Give me, give me a measurement. You know, everything has a measurement. You can't, you can't just eat a little matzah and pesah. You have to eat a kazayit. What's the measurement? How, how much do I have to want it? This terrible tragedy that took place. How much do I have to want it? Kederich, says Shohan Aruch. Listen to these words. The same way, Shemevarech besimcha ala tova. The same way, your beracha of Shehayanu under your chupan. And you're so excited. The greatest night of your life. How do you make that beracha? You make it with such a simha. Something good happens to you in life. You have a new child. You make such a beautiful beracha with such a simha. You have to make baruch dayana emet with the same simha ala toba. Could you imagine that? He says, ki, because... Hashem, those who are servants of Hashem, anything bad, he simhatam vetovatam. They consider it their happiness and their goodness. Why? They stand up for it and they greet it. Because they know this is what they need. And this is their greatness. Such an unbelievable thing. If this wasn't Shohan Aruch, I would say, come on, it can't, this not, can't be real. <coughs> it's Shohan Aruch. This is not like for Malachim, it's for us, angels. It's not for angels, but we're for humans. That's what we say every day. 
והיה אדוני למלך על כל הארץ. השם, in the times of Mashiach, when there'll be clarity, he will be a melech over the entire earth. ביום ההוא, that day, יהיה אדוני אחד, he will be one, ושמו אחד, and his name will be one. And Hazal asks, what do you mean? What do you mean? He's not one now? Only then he'll be one? So the Gemara says, no, today he's one, but his name is not one. But in those days, his name will be one. What does that mean? The name is the way a person appears to us. Hashem is always one. Whether he's doing what we see as kindness, or we see he's doing something that's din, difficult, he's one. It's all kindness. But me and you today, we see sometimes kindness, and we see sometimes not so. We see din. Shmo today, Hashem's name, the way he appears to us, not that he comes in different names. But in the times of Mashiach, we'll see everything the same. Hashem Echad, Shmo Echad. You'll see everything is kindness. Everything is exactly the way it's supposed to be. That's what we say every day in the most important pasuk in the Zmirot. Poteach et yadecha. We say, Hashem, you open your hands, umasbiya, and you satiate, lekol hai, to every living creature, ratzon. You satiate them with the ratzon, with what they want. Nice pasuk. Hashem gives everyone what they want. It's very nice pasuk until you come on the planet and you realize there are many things that you want that you never got. There are plenty of things that people want that they didn't get. What do we mean when we say, Hashem, you open your hand and you give everyone what they want. It's not true. The answer is that you want. You just don't know that you want. I'll give you a beautiful mashal, very simple. You see your mother running after her daughter or her son to feed them. And they're screaming and yelling, I don't want, leave me alone. Why are you bothering me? You're making me miserable. You just want to make me suffer. Or he needs to take medicine. You have to open his mouth with pliers and leave them open and pour the medicine down his mouth. Then he throws it up after the whole thing. And he's all mad. What do you want from me? Leave me alone. What's going on here? The mother loves... Let me ask you a question. Is the mother doing the son's ratzon or not? Is she doing his ratzon? So well, if you look at the picture, it sounds like, no, she's not. He doesn't want, she's giving to him. She's not doing his ratzon. But of course she's doing his ratzon. If he would open his eyes and his brain, he would realize that's what he wants. He just doesn't know what he wants. Hashem gives everyone their ratzon. Sometimes we see it, sometimes we don't. That's why, by the way, the word ratzon should have been written ratzon, no. That's the right word. His ratzon. Masbiya lechol hai. His ratzon. Ratzon, no. It says ratzon. Why is ratzon? Because really he's doing his ratzon. But we can't write it fully because it's not really his ratzon right now since he doesn't understand better. I'll just leave you off. By telling you the story of the Hafez Hayim, someone came to him. The 
doing? How's it going? So the man answered, it wouldn't be so bad if it was better. And the Hafez Hayim told him, and how do you know? It wouldn't be so bad if it was better. How do you know that? He says, Hashem knows better than you. He loves you. The Hazanish once told somebody, are you more compassionate than the creator of the world? Is that what you're saying? You know better? Sometimes things are hard. But don't complain that you know better. That's not appropriate. Just like when a father brings his son a document of 100 pages, says, here, sign here. Will the kid read 100 pages? Look at it, he just signs. But maybe you sign me a life away. Maybe it's written there that every dollar you ever earned goes automatically father. It's my father, are you kidding me? He'll never do that to me. Hashem knows better than us. Hashem knows which challenge we can handle and more than that, which challenge we need. It's two different parts of this class. La'amod means he knows what we could stand and handle. And la'amod, he knows what we need to celebrate. He knows what we need at this moment. Right now, he sent you that guy that's waiting by the red light and he's not moving. And you're getting nervous. Hashem sent you that guy. He's in front of you. You need that. You gotta figure out what to do. And not always do we know what the right thing to do is. You have to get advice sometimes. What's the right reaction? What's the right, what's the right way to behave in this situation? We have to know. But there's a right and wrong way to talk in every challenge. There's the right and wrong way to be, the right and wrong way to handle it. And if we could channel that spirit of challenge that resides within us from climbing mountains or growing mustaches, if we can channel it to the most beautiful accomplishment in life, la'amod al-nisayon, to live with nisyonot lechatela. This is the way it's supposed to be. It's not accident. It's not bidi'avan. It's the way Hashem wants it to be for me. And therefore I stand up and I greet it. And I tighten my belt and I strengthen myself and I say, Hineni, I'm ready. I'm ready to take this on. I'm ready to take on this challenge. And says the Mesilah Yesharim, if you're able, La'amod al-Nisayon, you can check box number two. You can say, oh, besides mitzvot, I do a lot of mitzvot, I do, I do a lot of good things. How many people pride themselves? I do a lot of good in my life. I'm so much good. I help this, I give charity, I'm a good mother, I'm a good sister, I'm a good... Great. You gotta be good at this too. Stand up, know that you can. Stand up and go greet the nisyonot that come to your life. And Be'ezat Hashem, we'll all find tremendous beracha and atzlacha. Baruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen ve'amen.